Hello and welcome to And Let's Be Heard for Tuesday, February 14th, 2023. I'm Mike Kachapoli. Well, happy Valentine's Day. Let me give thumbs up for Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. How was your how was your Valentine's Day? What did you do? What did you do? If you're married, do you go out to eat? Do you take your spouse out to eat? What happens? I don't know. I don't know what happens on Valentine's Day because I'm a single guy. So when you're single, Valentine's Day doesn't doesn't mean that much to you. But for all you lovers out there, I feel like I'm doing a a like overnight uh, like jazz show for all you lovers out there. For all you lovers out there, here's Benny Benny White on the auction. What am I talking about? Anyway, yes. So that's. It was Valentine's Day. Hopefully everyone had a, had a fun Valentine's Day, whether you uh, have a Valentine or not, whether you took someone out to eat or you ate out by yourself, whatever. I hope it was a great day. I hope it was a great day. Unfortunately, we're not going to talk about Valentine's kind of stuff, right? Like I said, this isn't like a smooth jazz show. I'm not going to spin jazz records and talk about love, love songs. But what I will talk about is important stuff. I'll talk about the important things that are on your mind. And whatever's on your mind is on my mind. That's the way this works. You know, I will talk about issues. I have two right off the bat I want to talk about. But if you have anything else that you want to talk about, you're welcome to call in and talk about whatever you like. Everything and anything is grist for our ever-grinding mill here on And Let's Be Heard. You know, I was thinking about, I was been watching, has anybody been watching that, uh, the, uh, the trial, the murder trial? Murder, mur- murder, murder. I mean, how bad is it that your last name is basically murder? It's tough. It's tough when you're on trial for murder and your last name is murder, right? The guy's last name is basically murder. How weird is that? But the murder, murder, is that a murder trial? I've been watching a little bit of it. Just snippets, you know, that are on the news. Um, and it's, uh, I think things have really changed since O.J. Simpson, right? Right? Because O.J. Simpson happened and everyone knew he did it, right? Am I allowed to say that? I don't know. Every, everyone knew he did it. Everyone assumed he did it. Um, of course, he was found not guilty, but he, everyone assumed he did it. And to the, to, he ran away, right? There was the white van thing or the white car chase. Why would you do that? Why would you, why would you run away if you didn't do anything? So obvious, all the, all the DNA evidence, you know, all the blood, cuts on his hands. Cut, it, it was obvious that O.J. Simpson... To most of us, not to jury, because the jury found him not guilty. But, uh, you know, I, 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 I had the same opinion about juries I have about voters, which is not, not very high. So, because if jurors are voters, right? And this is the country we live in, and these are the people who decide our fate. Sometimes it's the fate of the people who run our city or state, and sometimes it's our own fate, whether we go to jail or not, or whether real criminals go to jail or not. But, uh, so while I like the jury system, I have no faith in jurors. Um, because I have no faith in humanity. I have no faith in mankind. Haven't you learned that yet listening to this show for, for a year and a half? Um, but anyway, I digress. I'm watching this. And I think since O.J. Simpson, it's like it, it doesn't matter how obviously guilty you are. You might as well try, right? I think before O.J. it was different. I really do. Not many people are talking about that, that, that time period before O.J., you know, pre-O.J. and post-O.J. But pre-O.J., I think most people would like just take a plea. They obviously did it. Everyone knows they did it. The overwhelming evidence is that they did it. So they would take a plea bargain. 
Nowadays, it's not. Not since OJ. Since OJ, it's basically been, even thinking the most obvious, where the overwhelming majority of experts and just human beings with uncommon sense know someone's guilty or not, they, they take a shot. Why not take a, take a chance? Why not take a chance? You never know with the, with the 12 human beings that sit on that jury in this country. So that's what happened. There's, there's a lot, right? There's this guy, Murdoch. There's the other one. There's the Kohlberger, who I'm tired of seeing his, his grotesque face um, with the Idaho stuff. It's just obvious. It's obvious. I, I, you know, I'm, legally, I can't say they're guilty. We saw what happened with Kyle Rittenhouse, who I believe was not guilty. And what's happening to the people who in, in the media who said he was guilty, who said he was a murderer. Uh, so I, I can't say that legally. He's a suspect. He, and, you're, and you're innocent until proven guilty in this country. And that's a good thing. Regardless of the, cra- <laughs> the crazy jurists we have, you're innocent until proven guilty. So, but just with the, over, the preponderance, what they call it, the preponderance, or they, the preponderance of evidence and everything, not just the evidence, but the way people react. The, 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 you know, so I'm watching this stuff. And I'm watching like the videos they have, the, 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 the body camera footage of this guy. And like, so you find your, let's put ourselves in that situation. Okay. We're, let's put ourselves in that situation, but we're innocent. Okay. We are definitely innocent. All right. And we find our son and wife killed like that, where it was very disgusting. I understand the son's brain was blown out of his head. So you find this, you come upon this scene and the first thing you do, when the cops show up, is come with an alibi? Is that the first thing that's in your mind? Is to try to is to try to like find out? Is to try to say someone else did it? Oh, I know. I think I know who did this. No, and that's what happened, right? The police, from what I'm watching of this body cam footage, the police come on the scene, and the first thing he says is, "Oh, this is a oh, it's a long story here with my son and people who don't like him." And so he's already coming up with an alibi. He's already blaming other people. Instead of being totally shocked and appalled at what he saw, where he, uh, uh, someone who was innocent, I believe, would not be able to even talk when you find your wife and son like that, let alone start coming up with theories like you know, it's law and order. So obviously the guy is, to me, obvi- to me, to Micah Chopley, the guy is guilty as sin. Plus he's a skivuz. Look at him. I mean, he's a skivuz. He has all these financial things. He was ripping people off. There's rumors that he might have even killed a housekeeper and took them. It's a, it's, the guy is, is, a, is, a, is a psychopath. He's a psychopath. And then there are the idiots who say, oh, but look, he's crying. Yes, that psychopaths know how to do that. And sometimes even in a psychopath, there's that little bit of humanity where you start to realize what happened, right? So crying doesn't mean anything. If crying meant innocence... Every person who was put on trial will simply just cry and get off scot-free. Hey, if you cry, you're not guilty. It's, of course, bad crap ridiculous. But, so it's obvious, once again, to me, to Micah Chopley, it's obvious the guy's guilty as sin. Yet, like I said, since OJ, you might as well take a shot. Because all you need is one stupid American out of 12, which is pretty common these days, right? All you need is one moron out of 12. To say, no, no, I don't think they're guilty. And then unless they are pressured into changing their mind, you get a hung jury, right? So it's um, it's worth taking the shot. In this country post-OJ, since OJ, it's worth taking the shot, no matter how guilty it may you may be. 
no matter how much evidence there may be, no matter how much your, your body language or your actions show how guilty you are. Um, it's, uh, it's just, it's worth it taking the shot. And that's what happens now. I really think before OJ, that was a different story. But if you see how he got off, all you're saying is we need one jury out of juror out of 12, um, to not be that smart and a good lawyer, right? Good lawyers. OJ had very good lawyers. You need good lawyers, right? And wealthy people like OJ and this Murdoch guy can afford good lawyers. So you might as, you might as well go for it. There's, there's nothing to lose, right? What's there to lose? If a guy like Murdoch, what's he going to get out of it, really? This, I don't think – so if the death penalty is off the table, what's, there's not going to be much you're going to get by admitting guilt, right? You're still going to jail for life regardless. So you, why not take a shot, you know, if you got the money? And that's the thing about the country that's – of course, we, these people, these, the left believe in equity, but there's not much equity because if you can't afford a good lawyer, then you better – take a plea bargain because it's then you probably there's not worth taking a shot if you've got a public defender it's probably not worth it but if you have the money you can buy yourself out of jail basically right that's what it comes down to if you got the money if oj didn't have the money if oj was a regular guy he was jo let's say <laughs> instead of oj he probably would have been found guilty so it's um that's a big part of this whole thing you know, the, the money you have can indeed, having money can indeed get you innocence, can, can buy you, can buy you innocence in this country, unfortunately. Um, and like I said, since OJ, it's certainly, if I had the money, if I were a millionaire and I had the money, I would absolutely take the shot because there's nothing to lose and you can actually gain your, your freedom, right? So I've been watching a little bit of that and it's, it's disheartening. It's really disheartening to think there are people in this world who allegedly, could do such things to their family, right? Simply to get themselves out of a jam, to, to, to have a smoke screen. You know, it's just, it's, it's really, it really brings you down when you see stuff like that. And what else brings me down is, is these idiot liberal. We talked about the, idiot, I'm going to play the shaft theme because it's not, there's not an official Eric Adams update, but this moron, yes, a couple of days ago saying he would gladly bring back COVID may, and with, without trepidation, he goes, oh, we'll bring them back. Maybe we have to bring them back because colds aren't going away. Because colds aren't going away, we have to lock down again. Um, so he's gladly talking about, gleefully, gleefully talking about bringing them back. Now, never mind that there are no, uh, study after study is showing mass did jack shit to stop the spread. We know vaccines don't stop the spread. In fact, the more jabs you get, the more likely you ought to get COVID. So vaccine mandates are ridiculous. We see study after study which showed that lockdowns killed people. The lockdowns were destructive. And this low IQ moron is talking about gladly bringing back any one of those three, if not all three of those things, because the colds aren't going away. So this is what a fucking moron this guy is. And this extends to the, 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 the moron liberal mindset, period, even when it comes to other things like guns. So we have another shooting, right? We have another shooting. That the left, unfortunately, can't blame on white supremacist Trump voters because the guy was black. So that already they're upset that they can't do that. So they have to go to guns, right? They got to get they, they had to get past the domestic terrorist white supremacist that, that that's out for this this particular shooting. Um, they'll hope it's back in the next one. But this one that's out. So they can't they can't talk about that. So they'll just talk about gun control. And this is the same idiotic brain dead left. That keeps on talking about COVID mandates, right? Keep on doing the same thing that doesn't work over and over again because it's virtuous and you can never admit you're wrong and you're a fucking moron. 
you can't admit that the, you can't admit you're a fucking idiot. So you have to keep on doing the same things that don't work over and over again. So what are they talking about? Guns, 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 Biden. Guys, you're talking about guns, guns, guns. The same fucking one note, the same idiotic one note from this fucking demented old fool over and over again, over and over again. He won't shut up. They won't shut up. It's the same thing. Doesn't work over and over again. Never mind. Once again, another shooting happened in a deep blue state with gun laws up the ass that do nothing to prevent such like, you know, shooting inner city shootings in Detroit. Just like all the gun laws in Illinois do nothing to stop the inner city, shoot, inner city shootings in Chicago. Because once again, despite the laws, bad people are going to break the laws. This is a shock to the left that bad people aren't going to follow their ridiculous laws. OK, so it's the same note over and over again. Now, what won't the left do? Well, the left won't simply they keep on they, they go on TV and they cry. And they cry and they cry and they cry and they say something needs to be done. This is uniquely American guns, guns, guns. And they simply won't do the blood is on their hands because they simply won't do what we've told them they need to do, which is fortify schools, fortify schools. I know Michigan State's a large campus. I know they have several buildings, but they're also fucking loaded. It's a multi, multi-million dollar university. They have the money to put one armed guard at every entrance. If there are 10 buildings, that's 10 armed guards. They have the money to do that. They don't want to do it. They don't want to do it. They simply don't want to do something that is simple. Like hiring 10 people. All right, more than 10, you have to have shifts, whatever. 20 people, 30 people, whatever it may be. It, they can easily do it. They easily have the money to do it. Hire and put an armed guard at every single entrance. And that will be a deterrent. I promise you, you put an armed guard every entrance and there's almost no chance there'll be a mass shooting because it's just a deterrent. They won't go to that school. They'll go to another school, but then they can't go to that school if that school is fortified. So just a deterrent. So all it would, all it would do is, all they have to do is spend, all the left has to do is do what they love to fucking do, which is spend money, but spend money in a good way that actually works. We've told them over and over again, after every one of these shootings, we tell them one of the answers is that you should put an arm. This is a this is what you call a real world. This is what you call real world common sense answer. Forget about the deeper things like mental health and over medication and all that stuff. This is a real world thing you can do and put an armed guard at every entrance. OK. As a deterrent. Where someone can't just barge in with a gun and start shooting people. OK, so, of course, another option, another option, which we've told the left over and over again, is to is to uh, uh, is to not shit on the Second Amendment and, and let citizens let law abiding citizens have a gun. If law-abiding citizens, if more law-abiding citizens had guns, there'd be less gun violence because the bad guys would be less likely to take a chance if they thought people were armed. But now, you see, that's the whole thing. This is why, this is why you get less of these in Republican areas and more of these, not just mass shootings, but also just gun crime in general in blue areas, because the criminals know because the blue politicians, because the left politicians have made laws which don't allow the law abiding citizens to have guns, that the law abiding citizens are simply prey. They are prey for the bad guys. So this is another thing we've told the left. 
which is just allow the Second Amendment to do what it's supposed to do, which is so we can protect ourselves from the bad guys, so the bad guys are going to be afraid to be bad guys, okay? But this is going to be a deterrent for them being bad guys. That's why you get more gun violence in liberal cities, because the criminals know the fucking liberals don't let the good people have guns. Therefore, they are open prey for the bad people who are going to get guns, whether there are fucking eight laws, 12 laws, or 5,000 fucking laws. So we've told them that. They don't want to do that either. What else have we told them? Well, we've told them that gun, we've told them that mental health is very important. Stop shoving drugs down kids' throats. We just had Brady, a caller who calls the show a lot on this show yesterday, saying how he was over-medicated between the ages of, of eight and 17. And it was like he, he felt he could become a mass shooter. We're overly medicating kids and they're growing up fucked up because we fucking suck big farmers, you know what, and let them just overly medicate kids and make billions and billions of dollars over overly medicating kids. So we've told the left about that also. Yet they do nothing about that because they love big pharma and they want big pharma to make money. So we've come up with these solutions that they never do. What they do is make more and more gun laws, and yet there are still gun crime and gun shootings. There are still mass shootings, and the shootings up the wazoo in urban cities in Chicago, in Philadelphia, in San Francisco, in L.A., in New York, in Detroit. And the more gun laws they make, the more crime there is. Why? Because they're taking guns out of the hands of the law-abiding citizens, making it tougher for the law-abiding citizens to get guns, and the criminals love that. Criminals know they can go into a restaurant, and no one's going to have a gun. They're going to go into a school, and no one's going to have a gun. And the schools are not going to be fortified. There's not going to be one fucking guy with a gun at the entrance to stop them. They know it. We've talked about this over and over and over again. Yeah, just like with COVID. Just like with COVID. They want to do the same things that are proven over and over, proven with study, scientific study, not just real world numbers, not just uncommon, having uncommon sense and having eyes and ears and a fucking brain with brain cells. But studies that have been done over and over and over again that show these things don't work and they want to do them over and over and over again like brainless fucking Neanderthals. So they get the same results because they're insane as Sarah Huckabee Sanders said the difference between the two parties are crazy and insane. And because the left is insane, they continue to get these same results over and over again because they don't want to change course and do what actually needs to be done to stop these things. Because there's no virtue signaling in that. Don't you understand that? There's no virtue signaling in admitting that masks don't work. There's no virtue signaling in admitting Vaccine mandates don't work. There's no virtue signaling. There's no virtue signaling in letting law-abiding citizens have guns. There's no virtue signaling. There's no virtue signaling. And virtue signaling and wokeness is all they care about. And so virtue signaling and wokeness is getting us killed. Virtue signal. I'll say it again. Virtue signaling and wokeness is getting us killed. And there's another thing getting us killed that we've told the left about. Stop electing prosecutors who let people go. Stop electing prosecutors who knock down felons to misdemeanors, which is exactly what happened with the Michigan State shooter. Exactly what happened. The suspected Michigan State campus shooter was let off easy by a liberal prosecutor for previous weapons charge. 
I'll read the article. The suspected perpetrator of the Monday mass shooting at Michigan State University had a 2019 felony weapons charge against him dismissed under a former county prosecutor decreed for her lenient prosecution. Let me guess, what was she? A Democrat? Uh, approach, according to reports. Tony M- Anthony McRae, 43, allegedly shot and killed three Michigan State University students, injuring five others before killing himself, according to police. He had pleaded guilty in October of 2019 to a misdemeanor possession of a loaded firearm in a vehicle, while with prosecutors dismissing an initial felony charge of carrying a concealed pistol without a concealed carry permit. Ingham County Court records cited by the Detroit News Show. This occurred during the tenure of former Ingham County prosecutor Carol Seaman, who retired at the end of last year, the Lansing State Journal reported. Seaman said she didn't believe life sentences without the possibility of parole, receiving calls to resign for limited felony firearm possession charges and giving a plea deal to a man who killed two women and allegedly planned to murder two others. Records said police originally arrested McRae in the concealed carry case in Lansing in June of 2019, according to the Detroit News. The felony he was initially charged with was legally punishable by up to five years in prison, but he received a 12-month probation sentence for the misdemeanor conviction in November of 2019, with probation expiring in May of 2020 after a six-month extension enabling him to finish the probation order's terms. Even if he were convicted by a jury of the original charge, Anthony McRae would not have been recommended for a jail or prison sentence, current Ingham County Prosecutor John DeWayne said in the statement. The sentencing guidelines score would have been the same if he had been convicted of either the original charge or the offense for which he was convicted. Court documents indicated McRae claimed in June 2019 that the handgun in that case was registered to him, but he had not yet been able to get a concealed weapon permit, according to the Detroit News. Uh, here's the thing. Here's the thing, that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, as this, as the current prosecutor said, if you were convicted by a jury of original charge, you have not been recommended for jail. That's a problem in itself. But also, here's the difference. If he had been convicted of a felony, he wouldn't have been able to get a gun legally. But because he was not convicted of a felony, because it was knocked down to misdemeanor, he was able to get a gun legally, and the gun he had in this case was the one he bought legally because he wasn't a felon, okay? So there's your difference right there. It doesn't matter whether he would have done the five years or not. And he should have done the five years, but it doesn't matter. The difference is he would have been convicted of a felony instead of a misdemeanor. And legally, he would not. it would have been harder for him to get a gun than it was. So once again, this is another thing we've talked to the left about. Stopping with these liberal, nutty, nut job prosecutors who let people off easy, knock felonies down to misdemeanors. That's another problem. That's another reason why there's so much gun dodge. So we, this, this is what we've recommended to the left. Fortifying schools with, with armed guards, obeying the Second Amendment and allowing law-abiding citizens to get a gun to protect themselves from the bad guys and use that as a deterrent, just as fortifying the schools would be a deterrent. Stop overly medicating children, which is making them insane. And then they get old enough to kill and they do. And and And... Electing, hang them high prosecutors again. That's what we need. Hang them high prosecutors. Not these liberal Soros-backed prosecutors who let people off easy. So those are four major recommendations that we've made to the left. They have not taken any of them. All they do, in other words, the left, I'm sorry, the left wants these things to happen. Because if they did any of those four things, let alone all four, these things would happen less frequently. They don't want that. 
They want to virtue signal. They want to talk about guns and how awful guns are and how they hate the Second Amendment. They want to take it. No, they'll never say that. They won't admit that. This is the disingenuousness of the left, as I've talked about before. They simply won't say they hate the Second Amendment and they, they want to do a constitutional convention to remove it or alter it. They don't say that. They don't have the, any the balls to actually say that. But that's exactly what they say by constantly having more gun laws and talking about how guns are the problem. So they're able to ver whenever these things happen, they're able to virtue signal. They're able to say, ha, right wing guns. Look, ha, right wing guns. And they love that. So they want these things to happen. They want these things to happen, and they're happening because of them. The blood is on their hands. We have given them four things. Four, and any one of them, any one of them would stop this gun violence, would limit it, would bring the numbers down. Do all four, and I guarantee you, I guarantee you, do all four, and our gun violence would be on par with other countries. They won't do it. They won't do it because they don't want they don't want the solution. They want it to remain a problem so they can continue to virtue signal, raise money, and win elections off of it. That's what they want. So the blood is on their hands. It's the same with COVID. COVID deaths, vaccine deaths, it's all on their hands because they keep on doing the same things that don't work over and over again simply to virtue signal and keep their sick, twisted narrative going and their inability to admit that they have been wrong for decades. Oh, Daniel, you're on and let's be heard. How's it going? Good. What's up? Um, um, broken windows policing works, doesn't it? It did in New York. Yeah. And it, well, and it's continued to well, removal across the country in the last Across the country, the last three years, um, it's it's much. It was it was it was a very interesting exper experiment that we had performed on our society these last three years. Um, we would never have gotten data like this otherwise, but we have seen the removal across the country in major cities of broken police, of broken window policies, and crime of all kinds has skyrocketed. What you you hit it right on the head when it comes to misdemeanor uh, gun charges. <laughs> Bust the shit out of them. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and the fact of the matter is that everything they do, all these little things they do, like knocking down this felony to a misdemeanor, because saying things like, oh, they wouldn't get the time. They wouldn't do the time anyway, whatever it may be, or this idea that it's, ra it's, racist to put, it's racist to put black people who kill people. It's racist to put black people who commit crimes in jail. This is what these crazy leftists believe at heart. It's racist. By putting black people who commit crimes in jail is racist. That's what they believe. That's how nutty they are. And their inability to, to understand that regardless of the reason, whether it's societal, whether it's because of, 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 of whatever it may be. It could, it could be of, of oppression. It could be low income. It could be kids not having fathers. It could be a million different things. But their inability to understand the actual statistics, the actual statistics show that black African-Americans commit more crimes than any other any other racial group. OK, that's the statistics. That's the reality. It might not be a comfortable reality. It might be an uncomfortable reality. But black crime, especially black on black crime, not even black on white, black on black crime is the most common crime in this country, in our inner cities. Their inability to wrap their hands around that is the, is the biggest problem. They want to pretend that's not the case. 
They want to pretend that's not the case, and it is the case. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't. What really matters is if someone commits a crime, whether they're black, whether they're white, whether they're Asian, whether they're Puerto Rican, whether they're mixed, go to jail. You go to jail. You commit a crime, you go to jail, period. That's the thing. We have to start applying the laws and sending criminals to jail. It's that simple. The left doesn't want to do it because it's more virtuous and more virtuous than to say, oh, no, no, there's oppression. No, Mike, don't you understand? Oh, no, that's not the reality, Mike. Oh, no, no, it's, it's racist. It's racist to prosecute. It's racist to prosecute black people for committing crimes when white people have money and they get off. Look, I mentioned that at the beginning of this show, that the wealthiest of us, whether you're black, whether you're white. Look, O.J. Simpson was black. This murder, murder, murder guy is white. They both ha- are loaded. They're both wealthy. They're both well-known. They're both connected. Those people have a better shot than you and I. They have a better shot than average black guy or average white guy, right, would have in that same situation. It's not about race. It's about money. But the left has this sick, crazy idea that... African-Americans have been oppressed, there's slavery, there's civil rights, there's other, and these are the reasons why they're oppressed and they come from low-income backgrounds and, they're, and, and they have, a, you know, they're, they're born, in, they're, they're, they're born with, with um, uh, deficiencies that whites, you know, white privilege, we have white privilege and we're, we're born, you know, uh, it's, it's ridiculous. Instead of just twisting yourself into a pretzel, Twisting yourself into a pretzel to try to explain these things away instead of simply just prosecuting people who commit crimes. And that will deter other people, no matter what their race is, committing crimes. If you see people going to jail for stealing $100 of goods from Walgreens, you're less likely the next day to go into Walgreens and steal $100 worth of goods. But when you see on a daily basis that you can steal up to $1,000 worth of goods and get away with it, then you're going to do it also. That's the point of, of that's the point of putting people behind bars and actually prosecuting people and having punishment for crime. It, it prevents watch, more crime. Yeah, you, you could you can watch this play out every evening in uh, the Safeway um, in Marina District of San Francisco. Um, go down there sometime after 10 p.m. and you will see um, the drug addicts that live on the streets. Um, and people that aren't drug addicts, they drive in here and they obviously looking at these people, you know, that they do not live in this area. This is one of the wealthiest areas of the country in the Marina area. Um, and you get people coming in there that look like they, even though they may be driving up in an automobile, they look like they, uh, uh are coming out of skid row. Um, these people, they come to this area, they come here after 10 PM and they ransack the store. They just walk through, they take whatever the fuck they want. I can walk, I can go there at 10 p.m. and walk down any aisle and see it happening on any aisle in, in the store. And the uh, people in Safeway still do not do a damn thing about it. And well, if know, I, was prosec- a, I was in a, I was in a CVS. If you were to prosecute these people, they would stop driving from wherever they're driving from. And they would stop walking and busing from, from uh, Union Square where they're shooting up and where they're smoking crack and whatever the hell else they do there in Union Square, they would stop walking around and busing there from, from there just to get to this particular Safeway and other Safeways around town just to steal shit. And, and, and if they can't steal shit, they can't sell that shit on the street. And if they can't sell that shit on the street, they can't get their fix. 
And if they can't get their fix, they leave the area. Um, look, I was in a CVS about a month ago and I, I was, I was buying something and this white, this, this, you know, maybe 20 something year old homeless white kid came in and he grabbed a couple of things and started to run out. And the, uh, the, the people working there, I mean, these, these, you know, older Asian women, you know, were like screaming at him. They were like screaming. I'm trying to grab the stuff from him, you know, and they're like, they were like cursing him out. Fuck you. Fuck you. As he ran out the door. And I'm thinking, this is what these people who work, who would want that job? Who would yeah. want to get paid $15 an hour and have to deal with this crap? Yeah. You know? And and this is what they have to deal with on a daily basis. Many, that was just the moment I was in there. So you can imagine yeah. how many times a day they have to actually deal with that crap. You know? Yeah. And and that's probably because, an addict. Yeah. yeah. Probably an addict off the street. And yeah. He just came in yeah, to he was steal disheveled. Shit. He looked like a homeless drug addict. He was very disheveled. Yeah. And, thin, and, he's not, and he's not there to steal yeah. food because he's hungry. He can get food at a number of places around the city for free. He's there to take that food and sell it on the street, to steal booze and sell the booze on the street. Well, and it's easier to go into a Walgreens or a CVS or on every corner and steal food than actually go to the food bank. You know, it's easier. It's easier. You know, so so and, and probably the food, you know, you can go go to Walgreens and you could probably get a, you know, custom, you know, sandwich. You, know, you probably don't get that at the food bank, you know, so you can get a you can get a, 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 you know, a kombucha. You probably can't get that at the food bank either. So it's just better food. It's easier food. And you can just why not do it? It's on every corner. It's like basically having free food on every corner. Right. Why, why, why would you go two miles, three miles to the, have to trek to the food bank when you've got free food on every fucking corner? Why is it free? Because they're not prosecuted. That's why it's free. It's free food. They're not prosecuted, period. So it's almost, it's almost as though these days when you go into a, a Walgreens or a CVS and you actually pay for it, they're, they're, they're so pleasant, right? They're so like complimentary that you've paid for it. They're so happy and appreciative that you've actually decided to pay for it. It's, it's, it's really sick. But I guarantee you it is not this way in most Republican-run cities. It's not in this way with most – in Republican places with conservative or hang em high DAs, I guarantee you it's not this way. But it is this way in Democrat cities. It is this way. And every time there's – every time crime goes up in a Democrat city or there's a mass shooting in a Democrat city or state, this makes the Democrats even more diseased, poisonous, and disgusting because they're 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 being shown. It's like they're having it's like egg on their face. They're being shown that their gun laws don't work. So what do they do? They double and triple down. Daniel, just like they did during COVID, when they were proven over and over again that their mass mandates, that their lockdowns, their vaccine passports didn't work, they doubled and tripled down because they had fucking egg on their face, and their only it was like a cornered rat, and the only thing they knew how to do was charge at you. And double and triple down, and that's what they did. And that's what they continue they're, they're to do. Facing, in San Francisco, they're facing a death spiral, and they better turn this around, and they better bite the bullet, and they better start devoting uh, resources to policing around, around here and, and divert it away from the useless shit that they're doing um, with respect to, uh, uh, um, uh, what do they call it, um, harm reduction and, and drugs and homelessness, they better start bringing that, that money that is just getting wasted there away from those away from those projects and toward policing. Because if they don't, what is going to happen is this continually downward spiral with, with the wealthiest of people leaving the city. And as they leave, they're taking that tax base. And, and we have lost 
last last I heard in 20 somewhere in 2022 it was 6.7% of the city's population i'm sure by now it's well over 7% that is a huge gigantic number of people leaving and like i said they they were the ones those with the greatest resources were most likely to leave so they're taking away a lot of tax money with them this city is in a spiral of deficits with respect to money, they are thinking about having to close down muni stations at this point after just opening a new one because they're in such a big hole. BART is in a gigantic hole. This is across the entire Bay Area. San Francisco has a huge freaking deficit. If they allow this to, to keep on going, if they allow to crime to keep on going and they do not return to a broken windows policy, more people will leave. As more people will leave, more money will leave with it. As that money will leave, leave with it, there will come a point where, at which there will be no way back for them. They won't be able to, there won't be enough uh, uh, resources to divert away from other programs because those programs won't exist anymore either to, to policing. They won't be able to divert that money to policing and there will be a downward spiral. And San Francisco, as beautiful as the city is geographically, will start looking like freaking Chicago. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it, but it already is. The The, the problem is we're already in a, in a situation where oh, not, there, presently there are still resources, money that is spent on, on so-called homelessness project, which is just a waste. They should go back to broken windows, enforcing drug sales as, as well as use laws, clean up this place. And and, and, and they got to do it now. They got to divert those resources to policing and start doing that. Or it, it, game's over. And, and and if I'm, I'm giving it, you know, at, at most, uh, it's about six months. And uh, things aren't going to look like they're turning around in six months. I'm leaving the city. I've, I've got plenty of resources and then, and I'll, I'll just leave and I'll go to someone because I have to stay in the Bay Area still because of the, the um, my uh, position. I will probably go someplace as far east as Walnut Creek or Danville or Lafayette. Well, uh... It's obviously, as with any major city, it's always better when you go outside the city, right? When you go to the burbs, when you go outside. But, you know, it, it, the problem is, is it's, it's really, while it's, it is definitely the worst in the major cities, it's not, it's not really getting much better anywhere else either. What, what I can say is it's really starting to spread everywhere. It's starting oh, to, it's spreading yeah. everywhere, but it's, yeah, it's definitely the worst in the cities. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, if, if you have to stay, you, you, you follow the crime gradient downward. That's that's what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to areas where there is least less, less crime. And um, and so is everybody else. And if they can leave the state, they're going to leave the state. They'll go to Texas or Florida or Idaho or Montana or whatever the fuck to get away from people that are just out of their gourd batshit woke crazy. It's, and it's, and it's a shame because what's really happening are the majors, uh, these cities that were once great cities that people wanted to live in, certainly they wanted to visit, not just within the country, but other countries, visitors from other countries would come. And where, where are they? Where visitors from other countries come? They want to go to New York. They want to go to Chicago. They want to go to L.A. They want to go to San Francisco. They want to go to these cities, the exact same cities where crime is so out of control now. And of course, tourists in other countries are now seeing this. Right. They're hearing about this constantly. They're constantly hearing about gun crime. 
in major cities, in these major cities. And so they're not traveling there. So once again, who does that hurt? It hurts the small business owner. It doesn't hurt major corporations. It doesn't hurt the mayors of those cities. It hurts the small business owners. And the small business owners are getting it six ways to Sunday, right? They're getting it from all these different directions. They're getting it from no lack of tourism. They're getting it from locals leaving. They're getting it from their, their businesses being ripped off and robbed all the time. They're getting it from lockdowns. They're getting it from all over the fucking place, all right? And we, we need to start supporting our small businesses. Did I hear Michael Schellenberger, I have to look at this. Did I hear Michael Schellenberger say that the city of San Francisco spends a billion dollars a year on homelessness? Um, I mean, that, that's an insane I, amount. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised at all. There's a homelessness industrial complex in San Francisco that's just out of fucking control. Um, yeah. yeah um, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hang up now because I gotta uh, start getting ready to hit the sack. But um, thanks, thanks for the, thanks for the chat. Sure, thanks, Daniel. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I believe say something to that effect where San Francisco spends about a billion dollars, about a billion dollars uh, a year on homelessness. And what's happened? Homelessness gets worse every year. So this is what I've talked about about how the left keeps doing the same thing. They're so insane. They keep doing the same things that don't work over and over again. And things just get worse and worse and worse, right? Isn't the idea of spending, isn't the idea in their brains of spending a billion dollars a year on homelessness to make things better? And yet every year it gets progressively worse and they keep spending the same amount of money and it keeps getting worse and worse again. This is proven. The left cannot course correct. They can't, they couldn't course correct on COVID. They can't course correct on gun crime. They can't course correct on violent crime. They can't course correct on, 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 on robbing and, and looting and, and the destruction of small businesses. They can't course correct on homelessness. They can't course correct on anything. They want to continue with their lame, woke, virtual, virtue signaling narratives that only hurts and kills more people. And staying within that uh, mind space, here's an article that was just written. And this is a, uh, the, the title is, The CDC Grossly Exaggerated the Evidence for Mask Mandates. Mandates. After questioning the value of general mask wearing in the early COVID-19 pandemic, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention decided the practice was so demonstrably effective that it should be legally mandated even for two-year-olds. A new review of the evidence suggested the CDC had it right the first time. That review published by the Cochrane Library, an authoritative collection of scientific databases, analyzed 18 randomized controlled trials that aimed to measure the impact of surgical masks or N95 respirators on the transmission of respiratory viruses. It found that wearing a mask in public places probably makes little or no difference in the number of infections. These findings go to the heart of the case of mask mandates, a policy that generated much resentment and acrimony during the pandemic. They also showed the CDC, which has repeatedly exaggerated the evidence in favor of masks, cannot be trusted as a source of public health information, which is why I've said many times the CDC does nothing to prevent diseases. The CDC, the Center for Disease Control, does nothing to control diseases. The public has no trust in them anymore. They must be dismantled. In September of 2020, then CDC Director Robert Redford described masks as the most important, powerful public health tool we have. Remember, this is 
two months before the vaccines were rolled out. He claimed that masks provided more protection than the vaccines would. Well, he got that half right. Neither of them provide any protection. The evidence is clear. Redfield's successor, Rochelle Walensky, insisted in November of 2021 when she averred that wearing a mask reduces your chance of infection by more than 80%. Of course, she pulled that out of her ass. Three months later, the CDC claimed the study it published had shown that wearing a mask lowered the odds of testing positive by as much as 83%. Once again, out of the wazoo. These statements were based on two sources, literally two sources of evidence with widely recognized drawbacks. Laboratory experiments in stylized conditions and observational studies that do not fully account for variables that affect virus transmission. RCTs are designed to avoid those problems by comparing disease rates among subjects randomly assigned to wear masks in real life situations with disease rates in a control group. So if you're in the CDC and you don't understand that, you don't understand that that little, little, little specific fact, okay? and all the drawbacks those experiments had, you don't deserve to be in the CDC, okay? You don't deserve to be making public health policy. If you can't understand that one paragraph, okay, you can have an IQ of 50 and understand that one paragraph. These statements were based on two sources of evidence with widely recognized drawbacks, okay? And if you're, if you're the director of the CDC and you don't understand that, you don't deserve to be anywhere near public health, let alone, let alone the head of the Center for Disease Control. Once again, dismantled, destroyed. The CDC, the NIH, all of them. The review found that wearing a mask in public probably makes little or no difference in the number of infections. If masks had the dramatic effect the CDC claimed, you would expect to see evidence of that in RCTs. But the Cochrane Review found Essentially, no relationship between mask wearing and disease rates, whether measured by reported symptoms or by laboratory tests. When it comes to symptoms consistent with COVID-19 or the flu, the authors reported wearing masks in the community probably makes little or no difference. They reached the same conclusion regarding laboratory confirmed cases. Two RCTs were conducted during the pandemic, one in Denmark and one in Bangladesh. The first found no protective effect, while the second found that symptoms consistent with COVID-19 were about 11% less common in the mass group. The latter finding was far less impressive than the results from the observational study the CDC touted in February of 2022. In that study, the CDC reported surgical masks similar to the ones used in the Bangladesh RCT reduced the risk of infection by 66%. Even cloth masks, which the CDC has conceded are the least effective kind, supposedly reduce infections by 56%. Former CDC Director Robert Redfield described masks as, okay, we've said that, the gloss that gloss obscured grave methodological problems with the CDC promoted study, including sample bias, recall bias, and the failure to consider other preventive behaviors. As the Cochrane Review notes, the Bangladesh study also suffered from several weaknesses, including baseline imbalance, subjective outcome assessment, and incomplete follow up across the groups. In any case, Including the Bangladesh RCT, which accounted for a large share of the data in the Cochrane meta-analysis, it did not change the overall results, which indicated little or no effect of mask use. And contrary to the expectation that N95 respirators would prove superior to surgical masks, the review found that the existing evidence demonstrates no difference in clinical effectiveness. So you get those people, like the one who just tweeted me on Twitter saying, but no, but N95 masks and K37s and J35s definitely, oh, definitely made a difference. No, they definitely did not make a fucking difference. Okay. And once again, that Bangladesh study, any doctor that was worth 
a shit came out, any doctor that was worth anything came out right away and said that study is garbage. Okay, right away. I don't need to be reading this two months later. I'm sorry, two years later when it came out. Real doctors said it was garbage. And of course, they were right. The same doctors who were banned and censored on Twitter by non-doctors. The authors suggest several possible explanations for these results, including poor study design, inconsistent or improper mask use, self-contamination of the mask by hands, saturation of masks with saliva, and increased risk-taking based on an exaggerated sense of security. But one thing is clear. Instead of following the science on masks, the CDC distorted it to support a predetermined conclusion, which is a narrative of virtue signaling. That's, I added that last line. Daniel, are we back on the air? Daniel, do you want to come back and say something? You're talking about the Bangladesh study, so yeah, I'm back on the air. Yeah, didn't you? Didn't you? Didn't you criticize that study when it happened? Yeah, um, and, and and this article, although it's, it's doing a good job talking about the Cock Review, um, it's doing actually a poor job in talking about the Bangladesh study. The Bangladesh study um, found that across age groups, so they broke down age groups, if I remember correctly, by decades. And the in all age groups, they found that surgical masks and cloth masks had no effect whatsoever. Or sorry, in all age groups, they found that cloth masks had no effect whatsoever. In only one age group, the age group from 50 to 60, strangely, they, mean they looked at 60 to 70 as well, 50 to 60, it showed a reduction due to a surgical mask. And, but these, this, this was done in Bangladesh. Um, they don't understand. Most of them don't speak English there. Most of this was uh, self-reporting, and the um, masks were distributed, guess by who? By the 50 to 60-year-olds who were taught about the importance of, of mask wearing. So this was a biased uh, group here that was doing the distributing of the mask and teaching people to wear their masks, etc. Um, there was an incentive for them. They were paid to distribute the, the mask and talk to people about this. So there's an incentive for them for, for, for bias. And, and lo and behold, it shows up in the 50 to 60 age group. This small change and only in the 50 to 60 age group, only with surgical mask and otherwise cloth mask, surgical mask and all other age, age groups and cloth mask and even in the 50 to 60 group no effect whatsoever. So this effect was not only small in the 50 to 60 age group, the bias explains it, ex explains why you saw it at all, this small effect. Um, well, so yet, yet, yet Eric just Adams, that yeah, yeah, like, but Eric Adams wants to bring masks back in the near future because colds aren't going away. I mean, could you, once again, this is the guy, I, I said it yesterday between Eric Adams and, and Gavin Newsom, we're talking about people who power over and believe me they believe they have much power over 48 million people 48 million people in this country right it's it's like a fifth a sixth of the country that these two guys rule over and yeah. uh and 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 they want to bring back once again once again facts evidence science whatever it may be does not matter to the left the only thing that matters is keeping their narrative going keeping their virtue signaling wokeness going. That's all they care about. And they don't care about how many people that hurts. They don't care about how many people those decisions hurt or kill. Yeah, and, and, and as we are learning and was predictable from the very beginning, and every one of us said this, that the left was pushing all of this, pushing the COVID narratives, pushing the mask, pushing the lockdowns, pushing the, the forced vaccinations. 
they were they were ostensibly saying that oh we're going to be uh, protecting uh, uh, at the poor um, who are at high risk for these deeds. Who did they end up hurting the most? The poor. Who got the richest? The wealthy. They did exactly the, the consequences of their action precipitated exactly the opposite of what they were ostensibly saying that they were going to do. One has to believe that they knew because. I, I know these people. I, I was, you know, I was a lefty for a long, long time. They aren't stupid. They had to have known that this was going to be the consequences of their actions, and they didn't care either because of self-interest or because they're, or because they actually, you know, wanted the, the poor to get hurt. These people, yeah. I mean, these are the very same people, you know, that my colleagues. They they probably put on at least 50,000 miles a year flying around, and at the same time, they're complaining about global warming. Oh, I, I, oh. I, I, I put, I put 10,000 on in the last 15 years. Yeah. <laughs> and did you see did you see that sociopath Bill Gates' response to that when the reporter brought no. that up? He, no. he pretty much said, because I'm wealthy, it doesn't matter. Yeah. That's, basically, that, that's basically his answer. Because I'm wealthy and I give money to organizations, I can do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's arguing that he does he does so much good in the world that that, that uh, he's got to be exempt. Yeah, how much good yeah. has the, the bastard done? Actually, um, he's he's uh, he's in a big giant uh, deficit hole with respect to doing good in this world at this point. The guy should be paying uh, whatever whatever the cost should be per per carbon unit. The guy should be paying a uh, a billion times what everyone else has to be based on the harm that he's done to this world. Oh, absolutely. No doubt about it. And the harm he did pushing these vaccines, just the harm he did alone, just by pushing the vaccines. Unfucking believable. Unfucking believable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, okay. and once again, once, when, uh, thanks, thanks, Daniel. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So once again, that was basically his answer, Bill Gates, when he was confronted, when someone in the media finally, I think it was the BBC or someone in the media finally said, you know, hey, look, you take you and your buddies take these jets all over the place. And he goes, well, basically, because I give so much, I'm such a philanthropist and I give so much money towards climate change bullshit that I can do this. It's fine. It's 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 absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. These people, they simply believe they can get rid of murder because they can literally get away with murder. We've seen that. We've seen it. Speaking of people who got away with bloody murder, I'm doing, I'm doing good transitions tonight. I'm doing good transitions. The Jeffrey Epstein documents with names of associates are to be made public. The documents are expected to contain the names of Prince Andrew and other associates. So the last batch of documents with the names of these associated, those associated with deceased financier Jeffrey Epstein will be unsealed in the new future near future, according to media reports. The Daily Mail reported that the material is expected to be made public in the coming months, nearly four years after Epstein took his own life, we'll put that in quotes, took his own life, while incarcerated in a New York federal correctional facility. The documents are expected to contain the names of associates, victims, and employees connected to Epstein. They refer to alleged perpetrators or those accused of serious wrongdoing, as well as law enforcement officers and prosecutors. Epstein was associated with friends uh, and friends with many public figures, including Bill Gates. There he is again. 
and form up. But he, but Bill Gates is allowed to be friends with Epstein because he gives money to people, including Bill Gates and former President Donald Trump and Bill Clinton. Bipartisan. It was not clear if those names we mentioned in the material. Prince Andrew, who's accused of having sex with Epstein victim Virginia Roberts, now Virginia Goufrey, underage and a underage and attorney Alan Dershowitz uh, are understood to be among the individuals mentioned in the papers, according to the Daily Mail report. The documents have been sealed since Epstein killed himself, put that in quotes, in 2019 and were used in a defamation case brought by Roberts in 2015 against Ghislaine Maxwell, who was convicted of sex trafficking and recruiting minors for Epstein. The lawsuit was settled and the materials have been gradually released since. Some of the people slated to be identified include John Doe 5, a victim who gave evidence at Maxwell's trial using only a first name, the report said. Another is an assistant district attorney. Another is described as a public figure by Maxwell's lawyers who objected to the name becoming public. John Doe 23 is deceased, but was accused of serious wrongdoing, the document state, according to Daily Mail. They are not identified by name. So this should be interesting. We'll see what, what names what names come out here. Um, it's really amazing that you have people who were associated with Jeffrey Epstein, right, and Ghislaine Maxwell, who, you know, I guess that their argument is we rich people, you know, I guess, you know, they're in the same circles. They're all friends. They all know each other. They see each other at soirees, at events. And I think Bill Gates actually made that uh, statement, right? But I think Bill, Gwa- Bill Gates's uh, Melinda said he, he was – Bill Gates said he was at a very casual thing with Epstein. He didn't really know him that well. I think Melinda had said something to the fact of that it was not – that wasn't the truth, that he knew him a lot uh, better, much more of a buddy than, than uh, Gates admits to. So it's there – are, there, are, there are two possibilities with these people, Okay. They'll claim there's a third possibility. They'll say that they were friends with him, but they didn't know anything stuff about him. They didn't know what he was doing. He kept that hidden from them. And so they just knew him as one rich person following in the same circles, you know, knew another rich person. Okay. That's what they'll say. I think that's utter horseshit. There are two possibilities with these people. One is that they knew it was happening and looked the other way. Okay. That's, that's a very big possibility. That would probably be the majority of the people who knew Epstein, right? They knew he was kind of a shkivuz. You know, you know your friend's kind of a shkivy kind of a person, but you're not that involved with them, and you just look the other way because they're your friend, and you just, you know, let the let just chips fall where they may. That's one possibility. Of course, the other possibility with some of these people is they were actively involved, right? They went to that island, and they were actively involved with sexually molesting underage people, underage, underage uh uh, underage uh, women and, and, and men, boys and girls. So that's always the, that's another possibility. Those are the two possibilities. Newham looked the other way. Newham was involved with this stuff. So this bullshit of, oh, we, you know, he's a rich guy. I'm a rich guy. I knew him and we went to parties together and we, you know, we had a drink here and there. But this was a very nefarious thing he was doing and he kept it to himself. This was way too big. It was way too big. Him and Maxwell all those years recruiting people, having that island. Come on now. And all these people going to that island multiple times. It, it, to claim ignorance, to claim ignorance is total bullshit. So when someone claims ignorance 
And you know they're lying. You can only assume it was one of those two things. They knew it and looked the other way, and that's embarrassing for them. They knew they should have done something about it, or they knew him and were actively involved with this stuff. Um, and when someone like Bill Gates says, ah, I barely knew the guy, and then, you know, his, his ex-wife says no, he knew him pretty well, that gives you pause, right? That gives you pause on, 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 on how much Bill Gates may have known Jeffrey Epstein, how much he may have been involved um, with, with Epstein, because he simply seems to be lying about, you know, if you knew the guy well, but you have nothing, no, you didn't do anything criminal, then why wouldn't you just admit you knew the guy well? Why would you lie and said, I just had, what do you say, I had dinners with him? I had dinners with him, right? So here, here, in fact, I can pull up the story um, where Bill Gates' ex-wife here, here, this is the, this is the actual story. And this was actually written, when was this written? Last year, almost a year ago. Bill Gates' ex-wife, Melinda, says his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein hurt their marriage. Bill Gates' ex-wife, Melinda French Gates, has said his the business and technology magnet's relationship with Jeffrey Epstein played a role in their divorce. The Gates announced in May of 2021 they were divorcing after 27 years of marriage. They revealed plans to continue working together through their eponymous philanthropic foundation and poisoning people with the vaccine. I added that. If you couldn't tell, almost one year later, French gates. Hey, I have a pair of French gates. They're very, very fancy, has said in an interview with Gail King on CBS Mornings that Microsoft co-founder Gates's frequent meetings with disgraced financial Epstein negatively inf- impacted their marriage. She said, I did not like that he had meetings with Jeffrey Epstein and I made it clear to him. French gates added that she met with Epstein once because I want to see who this man was. And I regret it from the second I stepped in the door. He was abhorrent, evil personified. It's funny. She thinks that Epstein was abhorrent, evil personified, but her husband is just a great guy. I had nightmares about it afterwards, she said, of the Epstein who passed away. We'll put that in quotes. In August of 2019, when pressed about Gates' continued meetings with Epstein, despite his wife's approval, French Gates responded, any of the questions remaining about Bill's relationship? Oh, those are for Bill to answer. French Gates, who said that she and Gates are are friendly, though not exactly friends at this point, went on to reveal that a number of factors contributed to the end of their marriage. It wasn't one moment or one specific thing. Uh, There just came a point in time where there was enough that I realized it wasn't healthy. I couldn't trust what we had. Last year, Gates acknowledged he had an affair with an employee at Microsoft. The company asked its board to investigate the relationship. Uh, people are getting okay. In a, in a statement to Newsweek, Gates said that he deeply regretted meeting with Epstein. He also issued an apology to French Gates for the pain he caused her. Meeting with Epstein was a mistake that I regret deeply. It was a substantial error in judgment. Uh, but once again, Melinda says uh, it led to the divorce. So it couldn't have just been. Let's face it. Come on, if he was just having a dinner with Epstein here and there, as he says. It wouldn't have led to a divorce. Obviously, there was a lot more. There was a lot more there. There was there was there's certainly a lot more there there than Bill Gates is is admitting to. So, why why isn't he just telling the truth? What does he have to hide? That's the thing. Yes, yeah. But Daniel says he has an island. 
That's all anyone would need to know. Yeah, right. An island is something you would usually have, right? If you want to hide things, right? Hide money, hide or hide the fact that you're, you know, having sex with underage people. Why? Why else would you need an island? I mean, island is a is an isolated place that you can go to, right? And other people can only go if you invite them, right? So obviously, it's a place. It's like taking. It's like a. a it's like a uh, a crazed uh, serial killer or or serial rapist. You know, taking people to their lair, putting them in basement. You know, these things that horror movies are made of, but they actually happen, right? Taking them to their lair, taking them to their basement and locking the door because you don't want anyone to know what's happening. Why the fuck would you need an island, right? This is basically just a a, a rich serial rapist, a rich serial uh, uh, um, uh, psycho who has the money to have their own island where they can take people and do horrible things to them and no one will know because it's so far removed from reality. So that's the only reason why you would need a fucking island. Who needs an island of their own? I understand rich people having homes. I have a home in Greece. You know, I got a home in Italy. I got a place in, you know, I got a place in uh, in Paris. I got a place in London. Yeah, I get that. But an island? Obviously, you have an island because you want to be secluded and you want to hide things from the real world, right? You want to hide something. And uh, and this is just, look, the fact of the matter is, is that <laughs> you have to look at this and you can say that Bill Gates is lying. He's not telling the truth. Why? Well, he knew that Epstein was a shkivuz and he looked the other way or he was actively involved with this stuff. Maybe more will come out with this latest dump of, of information, but uh, he's certainly not telling the truth. He's not a truthful person, Bill Gates. He's just not a, he's not a truthful man. And I don't really believe anything he says, you know. Um, and when, when a wife of so many years says, this caused my divorce, this is a big reason why we got divorced. The guy wasn't meeting, he wasn't meeting at, uh, he wasn't meeting at Fuddruckers, you know, once every few months to have, to have, <laughs> to have dinner, <laughs> to have dinner with the guy. That would not cause a divorce. So, We'll see where it goes. We'll see where the we'll, – we'll see what is released. We'll see what happens. We're also waiting, and I'm very impatient now since we're in the middle of February, on these on the Twitter dump for the Fauci dump. I, I, I recall Elon Musk saying he was going to – it was the beginning of February, right? I think he said the first week of February they were going to release all these Fauci files, and we're still waiting for them. We're still waiting for them. So hopefully that will happen. Um, hopefully they actually exist. Um, and I can't see why they wouldn't. And uh, and we get that pretty soon. But we're definitely, we're definitely waiting. Um, we're definitely waiting for that. So, uh, by the way, uh, people who think we're crazy when we talk about the vaccine and the fact that they might be looking to uh, cut the population, let's say. Um, Jane Goodall at the World Economic Forum last year, last year, last summer, July, July 21st of 2022, suggested we need to cut the population by about 90%. That's, that's Jane Goodall at the World Economic Forum less than a year ago saying we need to cut the population by 90%. So whether you believe these vaccines were invented for population control because 
worldwide they want to cut the population or not. You actually had someone like Jane Goodall at the World Economic Forum last year saying that the world population needs to be cut by about 90%. So once again, <clears throat> you can decide whether we're all crazy conspiracy theorists or not, or people who believe that are crazy conspiracy theorists uh, or not um, by that. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's really getting to the point now where we, we have to wonder, what did you say, Daniel? I wonder if Fauci will be on the, yeah, will Fauci be on the Epstein list? That's another good, that's another good question. Will Tony Fauci be on the Epstein list? Ah, aha. I, you know, I, I, even though I want him to be on the list, I have to admit, I want Tony Fauci to be on the list. I would love it if Tony Fauci was on the list. I don't know. Is he a big enough? I don't know. Is he, is he a big, before COVID, was he big enough? Right? Epstein was dead, right? Epstein died. Why? I can't believe Epstein was killed or died or whatever you want to call it. Four years. So before COVID? God, I can't, I can't, I can't like put that timeline in my head, but I guess it was. Um, so before COVID, was, was Fauci anybody? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think he'd be invited now. But I don't know if, if he would have been invited before COVID. I, I, don't, I don't know if, if Epstein or anybody in that circle would have even known him at that point but it's possible right it's it's certainly possible you know um that someone up there in the government uh is on that list or several people up there in this in the government in the US government are, is on that list um but uh we'll see we'll see when it comes out we'll see when it comes out uh it, so you know talking more i guess about the the left mindset of doing things that don't work over and over again. You have to wonder why. You have to wonder why. Yes, there's the virtue signaling. Yes, there's the not being able to admit they were wrong. Um, why they cannot simply, why they cannot simply change course and even find a bullshit excuse. You, they don't have to say we were wrong. Right. You can use any kind of bullshit excuse. You could simply said you can simply use the word Hillary Clinton. Speaking of the Epstein list, you could <laughs> Hillary Clinton uses over and over again, which is evolved. Right. Doesn't Hillary Clinton. Didn't she really start that word evolved when it comes to like politics and changing your mind or or, or having a hundred and eighty degree difference? And didn't she's the one who came up with that evolved. So instead of saying I was wrong or I lied, I evolved and they could simply say that. The science has evolved. We're seeing these new studies now. Never mind that millions of people, never mind that millions of doctors, never mind that me and you and others who listen to this podcast knew this well before these studies came out. But you can simply use that as an excuse, right? The studies have changed now. We're reading all these articles now about these new studies. And, and so we're changing course. But the inability to even do that, the inability to even do that is... is uh, I, I, I'm trying to come up with a word for it. I, I like to use the word. I, I like to use the word hubris, right? Just an incredible hubris, and in not being able to simply course correct when you know, when you know, what you have done and what you continue to do has hurt people and killed people, has destroyed the economy. We're seeing more and more studies now about the schools and the lock, the school closures and the lockdowns and all that stuff. And how it has really negatively impacted children. 
not just through being behind in schoolwork, but psychologically, right? With fentanyl, right? We have had, we have parents now. I have parents. I see parents on television, on Fox, who are coming out and talking about their child dying of fentanyl overdose. And when they get into, when they talk a little bit more, they talk about how the lockdowns affected their children. Did, their kids never looked towards drugs, to drugs, until the lockdowns. And then they became isolated. They had no schoolwork. They had nothing to occupy their minds. They couldn't see their friends anymore. And they turned to drugs, and they got poisoned by fentanyl, and they died. We are seeing more and more on a daily basis how all of these things that Democrats were for, 100% all in on for years, has killed people, has killed young people, and they still won't course correct. In fact, morons like Eric Shaft Adams in New York, Shaft, Shaft Adams in New York says he'd gleefully do it again because colds aren't going away. Basically, that's what he said. Colds aren't going away. Flu's not going away. These things aren't going away. So we may, I might gleefully bring them back. He didn't even say, he didn't even say this, this low IQ, uh, repugnant individual didn't even say, I would, I would regretfully do it again. He didn't, you know, he didn't even say like, I, I, I loathe to do it again. He, with a smile, said we might have to, with a smile, with a shit eating grin, he said we might have to bring them back again in the near future. These people are incredibly sick. They're incredibly twisted in their inability to admit they were wrong. What did you post, Gator? Uh, on how was it? Oh, you're putting the Epstein stuff? You're putting it, if, you, if you want to talk about Epstein, that's fine. But you put some links also in the, uh, in the chat if people want to... Um, I think he just left. If people wanted to uh, look more into the Epstein, into the Epstein stuff, you know. So um, it, once again, there's this inability to simply course correct when it's I'll, I'll use their words. I'll throw their words at them. It's for the greater good. It's for the greater good for them to admit they were wrong. OK, it's for the greater good to admit they were wrong. And course correct. And they simply won't do it. And it's just that incredible, incredible hubris, which I find disgusting. That with a smile on their face, they say they might bring these things back, which hurt, which is, which has been proven over and over again to hurt and kill people. But once again, I was at, um, uh, I went to a, a movie um, recently and I saw people with masks in the movie theater, right? So they're 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 still wearing. I want people. I want people who listen to this show in in like uh, in uh, Montgomery, Alabama, in uh, in Savannah, Georgia, in uh, West Palm Beach, Florida, in uh, uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, in uh, Cheyenne, Wyoming, in uh, you know Lincoln, Omaha, Nebraska. I want you to understand because you know you're not going to understand this. You're going to think you're going to think I'm either crazy or living like on another planet. But yes, there are still people in San Francisco who are wearing masks indoors, who are wearing masks outdoors, who are wearing masks in movie theaters. Okay? It doesn't matter. Is it the majority anymore? No, but it doesn't matter. In a theater of 40 people, 
if 10 people are wearing masks, that's a lot. That's 25% of people wearing masks inside. Once again, proving, this is, this is what I've kind of, this is the conclusion I've come to. This is the reality I've come to. I'm not going to change. And these people aren't going to change, right? We, we talk on this show a lot about, you know, we want to, we want to somehow um, force these people to see the light. We want to force these people to understand. We want, we, we want to force them. We want to force them to have some common sense, which is impossible. I, I, it's impossible. And by now, three fucking years into this, if they're still doing these things, they're not going to change. I'm not going to change. So what happens when you're in a relationship? We just talked about Bill Gates and Melinda Gates. As she said, she got to a point where she realized that it was, it was toxic. So like in any relationship, when you know you're not going to change and the other person you're in a relationship is not going to change, it's really time for a divorce, right? You're not going to convince the other person to change. You're not going to force the other person to change. That then becomes unhealthy, right? Um, that then becomes toxic. So I think what a lot of people are realizing is that we're not changing and they're not changing. So it's time for a divorce. You're seeing this in people leaving California and going to Texas. You're seeing this in people leaving New York and going to Florida. Um, you know, and you're seeing this in people leaving blue states and going to red states that we're not going to change. The people around us are not going to change. So in order to be healthy, it's time for a divorce. And that, and that's, that's what I've realized. That's what I've realized. And when I say they're not going to change, they're not going to change voting in these same people, right? <laughs> Which brings me to something I almost forgot to talk about. Is uh, is Diane Feinstein? So Diane Feinstein announces she's going to uh, not going to run for office. Diane Feinstein announces she's not going to run for office at ninety. Right? The fact that she's allowed to even run for office at ninety is the problem. Like I've said, the Mike Chopoli Mandatory Retirement Act of twenty twenty three. You should not be able to run for U.S. Senate at ninety. You shouldn't be able to work at Amazon at ninety. Okay, let alone run for U.S. Senate at ninety. So the Micah Chopley Mandatory Retirement Act of 2023 would be a good thing. The fact that Dianne Feinstein could very well – listen to this now, please. I've talked about the absurdity of Joe Biden running for a four-year term as president at 82, which took him to 86. Dianne Feinstein had the ability, if she wanted to, to run for a six-year Senate term at 90, which would have taken her to year 96 of her life if she made it. And and on top of that – and, and, and not, her having the ability to do that, and she would have won again. I want you to understand that. She would have won again. In California, Dianne Feinstein would have been elected to reelected to the Senate at 90 years old to a six-year term in California. Okay? That is sick and twisted right there. But that's the reality. But Dianne Feinstein made the right decision, and she decided not to run again at 90 years old. And what happened? Accolade after accolade about how wonderful – I understand. I get it. I live in the real world. I ran for politics. I understand, especially if you're a Democrat, you got to write that bullshit paragraph whether you believe it or not. But the problem is I think a lot of people that wrote that bullshit paragraph talking about how wonderful she is believed it. They believed it, even though she was a total disaster. Do you know when she ran here for – when Harvey Milk and, and George Gascon – the reason why she became mayor of San Francisco is because the mayor was killed. 
And uh, at that time, she was really hated here. The people didn't like her. Her, 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 her other, her colleagues in the board of supervisors didn't like her. They thought she was a kind of an idiot and she wasn't going anywhere. And that assassination propelled her to the mayor's office. Um, and there began her career. So yes, her, her real career, her path to being the longest, you know, female U.S. senator in the country began because someone was killed. Two people were killed. The mayor was killed. But. The fact of the matter is she's been a total disaster. Look at what California has become. I'll, I'll get to the call in just one second. Let me finish this thought. Look at what California, look at what's happened to California in the years she has been in the Senate. Senator of California, from California, representing California. California is a disaster. Crime is through the roof, homelessness through the roof, dirty, people, businesses leaving, people leaving, losing congressional districts. This is what's happened. California has become a total shithole through her years of being the senator from California, as San Francisco has through all the years of Nancy Pelosi being the representative of San Francisco. So to say these people did a good job is total, utter horseshit. They didn't do a good job. They were just around a long time because the people voting them in are morons. Once again, I'm not going to change. They're not going to change. Time for a divorce. Hey, you're on in Let's Be Heard. How's it going? Hey, it's going. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm hanging in there. Mike, are you from California? No, no, I'm from I'm from Brooklyn originally. Oh, there's the accent. Okay. Yeah. Are you uh, uh your last name how do you pronounce? Cachopoli. Cachopoli. You uh, uh Southern Italian uh, heritage? How do you know that? Is that that's, that's Good. Do you, do you, well, do you... I mean, it's it's an Italian name. I was just guessing, though, of the area. Oh yeah, but Na- like Na- um, I, 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 Naples, Naples. Oh, cool. I was yeah. I was just in uh, Italy uh, on a work exchange recently, um, and I got back just a, f- a few months ago. Where, so where, it was pretty... where, in, where in Italy were you? Uh, Calabria, northern Calabria. Mm, that must be. So nice. I was I was around. I actually left the uh, left from Naples, the airport, when I was able to get back to the U.S. But Naples, uh, Italy, today, have you seen the the shape of it? You mean this? It's no longer shaped like a boot anymore. I'm well, the, the, the state, the state of the the city. No, I which one? Naples. Yeah, Naples hasn't Naples hasn't Naples had a lot of problem with uh, crime for a very long time. Well, the the short time I was I experienced Naples was one of the most scary times of my life, and I'm from Indianapolis, and I've lived in really bad parts of Indianapolis. It was uh, it was like a almost out of a apocalyptic sort of thing, almost. That is, is it that bad? The downtown, yeah, the city area, the urban kind of the over the the real populated area of Naples is homeless children and. Buildings falling apart and crazy. I heard um, when I was in, I went to, okay, I've been in Italy twice, Italy twice. I went to Rome. And when I went to Rome, um, I had a friend who was driving me around different places. And he told me about the issues with Naples. Uh, they have, they have those like children, those homeless children who like bother tourists in Rome, but it's really even worse in Naples. And, uh, and when I went to when I went to Italy the second time, 
I I went to Naples. I didn't I didn't go I didn't go into the city. I went like to the outskirts, <clears throat> uh, and I heard I've and, and they, I was told that there was a lot of problems in in, in Naples with uh, with children who um, basically have no parental guidance. I mean, they're just running around and they bother tourists and they, you know, they try to steal money from tourists and all this stuff. So I heard it was pretty bad. Yeah, it was, I was stuck in Naples for just three or four, three and a half days because I barely made it out of Europe. Um, I was, I almost got, almost got trapped uh, homeless in, in Naples because, and I could see why they had such issues with that because it looked like a lot of most of the people in there were not Italian. So the majority of, of the struggling people of the city were just not even, didn't even seem, didn't look Italian. Maybe, maybe some of them spoke Italian, but it just seemed like a hodgepodge of, of different peoples that were just miserable. And like the, the, then you have the tourists or the people going through the city, uh, the downtown area, which is just the hub of it, you know, like any city, uh, like a lot of cities is around the airport. And that's where I was. So like the, the area I was in, in, in the city anyway, sorry, I guess there's no point to, I, I just kind of mentioned this cause you're just as a, I don't know, discussion's just going somewhere. I don't even yeah. know, but like, no, I'm talk, I, I've talked about big cities in this country being in shambles. So I, I, I I'm yeah. sure, I'm sure it's, it's the case in, in some cities in Europe also. You well, know, the reason so, why, I guess the reason why I brought it up, another reason why I brought it up is this, uh, the economy we think it's better over here. This is better over here. And I think that it's just really, we don't, it's really bad in a lot of places. And what I experienced in Europe, I thought maybe the grass would be greener on the other side. I get over there and there'd be more open-minded people. Maybe it'd be easier to fit in, but it's very also people look at you if you don't have money the same anywhere you go. And so it really sucks not having any representation if you're, if you don't have money, if you don't, you just looked at as a failure and, uh, no matter what your ideas are, no matter what your background, uh, if you, if you don't have the, the material to show for it, people don't just majority of people just don't take you seriously. And they just see you also as dangerous because, oh, he's got nothing to lose or this uh, person poor. They got nothing you, to lose. When you said, you said something interesting. You said the people in Naples, you were discovering didn't seem to be Italian. Do you mean they were like immigrants from other places? Just a lot of people stuck in transit, I think. Almost like uh, it's just like any city is very, very transitory. I mean, anywhere you go, I've, I've traveled around a bit now, and it seems like most cities, every other person you talk to is not from there. It's just there is a hub, like a business hub. So you have people moving in and out just like me moving around. But, but some, think, a lot of people with that, more money. Do you think that contributes – to problems when people aren't from a certain place or people don't, in other words, you it's almost like you're more, you're more, you're more likely to take care of a place if you own it than if you're renting it. Right. Oh that yes. It's, if it's, yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's a, that's a huge issue is, is there's no people talk about community and use these words, but when you really look at it, the, the system, the, the way it is, is not designed for community. It's just, it's, it's designed as a rat race. So if, if you don't have a communal, uh, structure whatsoever you know we can't it's really hard to talk about community in any realistic way i think because you go to these places then you might find a community here or there of aa people or alcoholics anonymous or <laughs> or like or, or like this little group or that little political group but as far as a community of people living like sovereignly 
that's what I think of community. I think of something where it's independent, where people are actually living sovereign and not, not dependent on, on the state or on, on even money if, if it came down to it. And that's the only, that, I guess that's my idyllic idea of community. So when I hear a community, I, I, I think of these cities I've been to. I think of the lack of attachment, the, de- the detachment because of it being so everything centered around money and uh, status and really you not being seen if, if you don't have that. And it's, it's just, it's just a huge problem. And I don't know. I, I, there's no quick solution. That's for sure. But it's rampant everywhere. You know, it's just, they put money first. Yeah. They put money first. That's true. I mean, once again, this is not, that's not a uniquely American thing. Money, money yeah. being the root of evil causes the evil. It's, not, it's, it's not the evil. new king and queen. But it's the new, in, new feudalistic. Yeah. What? Were you in Sweden Sorry. at all? Did you, did you go to Sweden while you were in Europe? No, I wish I would have been able to visit there. The best, the best place I went to while I was in Europe was North, Northwest Ireland, uh, Donegal. Wow. Uh, yeah. region yeah. where the, where their first language is, is Irish is uh, Gaelic. So I, would, I, I, would think, I would think that's a lot of locals, very provincial. Oh yeah. yes. Yeah. I, yeah. it was a complete contrast from what I experienced in, in, in Italy. Um, and it was my kind of people. Well, nice that they spoke English because what I found in Italy was being somebody who doesn't speak Italian. They don't like most of them don't speak English. No. So it's, it's, it's like, I truly got to experience the, the, a, like being a, a, an outsider in a place with where I'm the, I'm the, the foreigner, but in, in, uh, in, sorry, in, in Ireland, the short time I was up there at the work exchange, uh, and you, are you f- familiar with work exchange programs? Somewhat in general. Yeah. Nothing. I've never, never you know, I've never been involved like, in one. They're like work. Like, have you ever heard of work away or wolf or worldwide opportunities are on organic farms? Yeah. These sort of, these sort of networks, if you sign up, you pay a yearly thing. It's real, it's real low. Uh, you, you can, to communicate with hosts all around the world and uh and then you talk to them and if you get the money up you can go and uh stay there in exchange for for work you get a place to stay and uh you know and food usually uh com- certain accommodations so like um it allows people with that don't have the means to travel around to work and travel kind of like kind of like modern hobo you know like kind of like a working traveling homeless person so it allows for people to do the van life a little easier, allows, allows people to, to network. But it also, what it does is, is it puts you in the power of the, of the, of basically, they don't tell you, but it's like you're living with your employer. And it's, if you think of that, of that for a second, living with, with your landlord, it's not a very good power dynamic. It's something that's very, uh, gets you, gets you thinking it's such a great idea until you start doing it and realizing that it's not a very good power dynamic to, to be living with, essentially with your employer. And well, um, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't sound like my kind of thing, but I know a lot of people do it. You've done it, but I think an issue here also is the immigrant issue. And while, you know, this country's being overrun now at the border with immigrants and they mm-hmm. come here and they come <clears> here, they, they demand five-star hotel rooms, not even just, you know, appreciating the fact that they, that they're here, even though they're here illegally and they've broken the law. A lot of that's happening around Europe too. Um, Europe is also being invaded by immigrants. Um, I have I, I know a guy in my building who's from Sweden, 
and I, I talked to him. Um, and I said, I remember when I first spoke to him, I said, oh, God, Sweden, I can't, I want to go to Stockholm so bad. I, I, I think I might want to even live there. He says, no, you're not going to want to live there. I said, why? He said, Sweden, Sweden's beautiful, Stockholm, great, right? Swedish people, blonde hair, beautiful people. He said, no. He said, yeah, the locals. He said, but the problem in, in Stockholm has been this invasion by immigrants. Um, he says there are a lot of Middle Easterners there who have really destroyed the city. He said they're not from there. They don't have roots there. They don't give a shit. They don't, they, they, they don't care of the city, that they're making the city dirty and, and crime-ridden. And that really, that shocked me. That's yeah, it's, it's I, um... I was actually shocked. I said, you, this can't be true. He said, yeah, go ahead. Go for a visit and see. He said, it's not what you think it is. Not anymore. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's the city's um, – can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah, perfect. Yeah. From from me, you know, I've traveled all around the United States, been basically all the major, like right now I'm in Nevada. But what I can tell, there's such similarity with no matter where you go, even in Europe, with cities, cities being the center of where, of obviously where people are gathered for business and, and the, the majority of the population. So cities have uh, just completely taken over as far as the majority of the human population are now in cities, not, not in rural areas, not, not living like autonomously sovereign off the land or anything. So it's, it's uh, now, now you have the country people with money, the people out in the country used to be right. rural right. folk that was a bit people. poor right. and, and just kind of right. living off the land. Now it's, now you have these, uh, the only people who can afford to live, to be country are these, uh, you know, people with some money, upper middle class and whatnot. And I think there's something really wrong whenever a system basically makes it to where you have to be more or less rich to live simple and ethical. I think whenever a system forces people, if you're poor, to live in sin because you don't have the money to have land and, and to live off your own food you're growing and to live humble, you know, you have to, you have, you know, it forces people to, to be on the streets more or less. And then you, people say, oh, there's a choice. You have a choice. You can go live on some land and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, everything's privatized. It, I, I'm just, my, my whole plan is just to save up money somehow and get some land, even if it's just an acre or two and actually own something, you know, people, there's so few people actually own what they have and, and what they have actually be able to sustain them. It's most, mostly everything is connected through, you, you, you require the industries, you require the money, you require the corporations, require the store. Everything is so codependent, you know, and it's so globalized that it's like, it's, it's completely moved away from the idea of localization and, and sovereign economies. Absolutely. Where are you in Nevada? What, what part of Nevada? Uh, around, around Vegas. Oh, around Vegas. Okay, I lived in Vegas yeah. for two years. I lived in Vegas for a couple. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've, I've lived everywhere. You know, I've lived in Vegas. I've lived in. I, I understand a little bit, not that much, about your language problems. I lived in Montreal for a couple of years, but it's a little different because eighty percent of the people in Montreal speak English. So it's not like <laughs> living. It's not like living in a, in a city in Europe where most people don't speak English. But um, but I do know a little bit of the awkwardness of not. It, it language is a huge barrier. Language oh, is a yeah. barrier. You, you really Even dialect. Feel, yeah. You, I mean, when I was living in Montreal, I, I, so I, I had groups of English-speaking friends, but I also had groups of French-speaking friends, and it would be very awkward to be with three or four people, and they're all speaking, and you don't know what they're saying. You know, you feel very much 
Yeah, like, movies and sho- yeah, yeah, shows and movies romanticize those situations, but in real life, in real si- in those real situations, it's for me anyway. I found it very not romantic. I felt it like like I can't. They don't know what the hell I'm saying. You know, it's like really hard. It's very tough. It's, it's like not being yeah. Able, it's not, very it's tough. literally like not being able to communicate. Yeah, yeah. Communication is a very important part of us connecting, right? Yeah, being able to communicate with people. Now, even in San Francisco, sometimes I feel like I'm speaking a foreign language here because yeah, drive, you can. That's drive, the worst. I don't drive most of the people here as I yeah. That's the worst if you can understand them, their language, and they can understand you, but like you have different ideas of what the words mean, so then you get mixed <laughs> yeah, up with what you're saying. Exactly. So it's like yeah, it's like almost it's not worse, but it's like annoying. Like whenever yeah. you know what I mean. Like you and I can, you and I, you and I can understand basically what we're what we're talking about, you know, to each other. But I do know, I do know what you mean. If you're around certain uh, English speaking people that just have a different idea of what things mean, yeah, Vegas you know? can be a Vegas can be a fun place to live, and it can be a very difficult place to live. It's fun because there's excitement, you know, there's excitement around the Strip, and it's a place. It's it's probably the only really 24 hour city left, especially post COVID. That's what I like. Yeah, I love that. I I just came from. I came from a smaller town just now. Like I was, I was staying in a smaller town, and being as much as I don't like the city, Vegas. What I can tell is, I, I, I'm not a gambling kind of guy, and I think that I haven't even been on the strip yet. I've been here for over a week, and I just look at it as is an opportunity to have. To, to have an odd schedule because I'm my sleep schedule is odd in, in itself. Uh, and I just sleep when I'm tired and not, that doesn't always align with everyone else. So, so, so <laughs> no, like, it doesn't, it doesn't. so like, I, I don't like setting an alarm to get up, nothing. So like, I just try to, it, it's hard. It's hard whenever you're just trying to be, you're a productive person, but you're not a schedule or you're not a, uh, like myself, I'm not a money driven person. So I'm like a hard worker and and whatever, but I don't like to be under, a boss, yeah, you know, yeah, I, and Vegas, I, I, Vegas, I, I, I can just, I can just have a, you know, I'm living out my, um, I'm doing like the van life thing right now, so, so I'm in, but I'm not in a van, I'm in a small SUV, so it's a bit smaller, but basically, um, it's nice because you can just go to the gym anytime, uh, and and just and you know, I got the freedom right now, and I'm looking, I'm, I'm look, I, I, I'm already have opportunities, and I'm. I'm also resort. I'm wanting to get into the resort industry for economic reasons. I'll t- I can I can explain. It's pretty interesting what my my theory is here. But like I'm in the resort capital of the world, more or less. You so are. I'm like center, centered myself after all these travels, maybe in a place where I can actually implement something. Most people something. go to Vegas and get in trouble. The people who go in and become gamblers or are gamblers and think they're going to hit it big and become rich, and and that and they and their fire burns out really quickly. That's that's the allure of Vegas to some people. Yeah, it's like yeah, you think you can go in and win the jackpot. Yeah, you know, sure. and, and it's funny. Funny enough, I never gambled in my whole life. I never even played cards, nothing. And I come here and I go to the grocery store, Albertsons, and and they have a little game room. And I catches my eye on the way out that there's a free sign up that you get five bucks uh, yeah. you can play with. Yeah. I said hell with it. I don't have a gambling problem. I can go ahead and do this. So I did it, and I won the five five fifty. As soon as I got fifty cents over the five, I said, "Cash me out." Oh, that's because you don't have an addiction. You see, that's uh, when I was living in Vegas. That's what we would do. We'd go get. Um, I, when I was living in Vegas, and I was working in radio, uh, or other, before radio, I did other things there. But I, um, you get your check, 
and you'd go to the casino and the casino would cash your check for you, right? The casino mm-hmm. would cash your check for you with no fee. Not only would they not charge a fee, but they would give you like $10 in playing money, right? Yeah. And, and like a free buffet. Of course, things may have changed since then, over 20 years ago, but um, they would give you like $10 in playing and a free buffet. I think, God, this is great. No fee to check to cash my check. It's all in cash right there up front. Don't got to put it into the bank. Wait three days. And they give me $10 to play with in a buffet. I, I went all the time. But I was yeah. able to do that because I would spend the $10, get the free buffet, and never spend a dollar over the $10 they gave me. But you know what they what they hope for and what they get. Oh, yeah. Who, who, who end up throwing their whole paycheck. The, probably a good portion of people do that. And that's why, and, and the funny thing was that that same game room I was in right after I, I cashed out, which I didn't even know how to play the game. The, the woman there helped me. It was just like a poker thing. And so like I cashed out my little $5 and 50 cents and the woman just a couple seats down from me, older woman, uh, won over $7,000 right there. Jeez. And, and it looks her, the look on her face, she didn't seem, and the look on the person who worked there doesn't happen often. And I don't think it ever happened to her. So it was funny the the first place I go and the first place I ever gamble, somebody right next to me it strikes it big. You and you know, 50, I, I you wonder. You're up winning 50 cents. Right? Yeah, well, I won $5.50. Oh, 550. Yeah, but like, I, I just, after that experience, I had the itch to gamble because I thought to myself, I'm, you know, that that's all it requires is I go in and I do like what that woman did. And then I'm, my life's different all of a sudden in $7,000 later. That's not true though, of course, but, but like, but, but, but then I, I talked myself down from it because I said to myself, if I think that way, that's what they want. And possibly that's what they set up in this place, seeing that this new fates came in and then they, they, they saw somebody signed into the system here. Hey, we're going to have this woman who's played a bunch win something finally no but even when they lose they win because of that psychological element yeah people around i think that they woman, schedule that yeah stuff. people around this woman see she wins seven thousand yep. dollars and the casinos get end up making you know hundreds of times that amount of money because people are gonna say oh i can win that too mm-hmm. you know so that that's that's why they did um that's why casinos do like things like lights and and like uh jing you know when in the old days, in fact, well, they still do it now, but in the old days with the coins coming out, right, it would be very loud. <laughs> that, yeah. that sound is a psychological thing where it gets yeah. people to believe it's easy to hit, you see. So that's why they have the bells and the whistles and the, and, you know, and the jingles and all that stuff, because that all plays into other people thinking they can do exactly what that person did. You know? Yeah, and if you learn how to count cards, yeah. they, they'll, they'll kick you out. So if you actually learn the game, yeah, well, that's, and they're I, smart I, about I, it. You can't, they, you you can't because you can't have an edge over them. No, nope. that's why. You can't so, like, that's the way I see. That's the way I see capitalism. Um, and I don't know what your political views are, but myself, I'm I'm against. Uh, I'm just fundamentally against capitalism, and the way I see that the entire hierarchical structure of capitalism is that it's kind of like the house, the casino. So, like, the financial system is like the the house. And the way I see people trying to beat the, they're trying to beat the house within the house rules rather than right. thinking in terms of like, there's something wrong inherently with the actual, but the, I, the, the, the gambling, the house, everything. Cause wow. life shouldn't be one gamble away from you being a, a rich person or, or impoverished. Well, there shouldn't the be the, the idea. idea of, <clears throat> sorry. Go ahead, finish. Go ahead. You can finish. Go ahead. I was just saying, I was going to say that 
like the idea of gambling is is that life we're all born and we die life is a gamble everything is dangerous why do we why are we structuring the economy around furthering that why why not have something that's a bit more uh you know like it life's hard enough already why add the gamble by making gambling a thing a part of the economy i don't i i just i just see it as a part of the problem a symptom of the of the bigger problem the pro-capitalism people would tell you that in america the idea that what makes capitalism great not perfect is that you can become the house if you work hard enough see what I'm yeah saying? yeah so the, the yeah to, to become the to become the exploiter that's the the goal the well, american dream uh, okay you put it in a very negative way okay go ahead that's fine <laughs> but i'm saying that 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 this country offers offers more opportunity for that to happen than a lot of other countries yeah it does yeah. you know so it's like that's that's the key to become the house to become the yeah. person with power, to become the person who takes other people's money. <laughs> yeah, which, which I, you know, we're not all cut out for that. A lot, no, a lot no, of us don't think not. that way. Did you see that yeah. that, that that kid from Romania who said who's like a he's twenty something and he's a billionaire, and he made that comment about a week ago or two weeks ago that if you're twenty something years old and you can't afford a Lamborghini, you're a loser. Did you see that? No. Yeah, so he said he said something about, you know, if you're in your 20s and you can't afford a $200,000 car, you need to reassess your life. And that got a lot of people upset because, you know, not everyone is cut out to become a, a multimillionaire at 21 years old. And there are people who might want to, like, be firemen and policemen in which you are certainly not going to become a multimillionaire at any time in your life. Um, and so people were upset saying, well, does that mean you're saying that, you know, people want to be a fireman or a cop or a policeman or, or a nurse are losers? So anyway, the kid then just um, he described how he became wealthy so quickly, and I still don't get it. You know, it's look. The fact of the matter is, if it was so easy to become, and he kind of contradicted himself because he said it was easy to become wealthy quick, and then he said he worked hard. So it doesn't make that doesn't, yeah. those two things don't jive. You worked hard, but it was easy. That doesn't make anyway. But anyway, he got lucky. Is what happened. People don't want to miss him as they get lucky. And, yeah, uh, it's it's you know, definitely so he, that. He, he yeah, explained how he set up this thing where he became he sold things online. I don't know. It was a whole thing he did, but he started when he was like a teenager. But he had drive. I mean, he admitted he comes from a very poor background. In fact, he had said when he was a kid, his family often couldn't afford to pay the electric bill. So he'd like he remembers trying to make an egg with a candle, and he remembers that feeling of being poor, and he didn't want to be poor as an adult, and that drove him to make money, and he found a way to do it. Fine. Yeah, I see that a lot with you know. I see that a lot with the propaganda and like the the sort of gurus that are pretty popular today is this idea that there's nothing wrong. People say these they say the same thing. There's nothing wrong with being rich. There's nothing wrong with making money. There's nothing wrong with having your own business. Blah blah blah, and they repeat this sort of thing over and over so that people think, oh, because it's normalized, these sort of structures are normalized that there's nothing inherently immoral about money or anything. And I think that that's completely off base. I think that the idea of, of everything costing a certain amount of, of money makes it to where you take you instantly stripped away people's natural birthrights to certain things like the like that we should have as a natural birthright. I don't think there should be a, a housing market because I think that housing or shelter should be something that we should be able to build ourselves from local resources and do. And I think that 
land should be something that's a birthright for people born of a nation, not something where you're basically paying a guy to have the land. And so, like, my views are quite radical, but I think that a lot of these people who are popular pushing the narrative of, like, just make money, you know, they're missing the point of there should be certain reg- there should be certain things in place that guarantee people, you know, people born of a country have basic necessities. So they're not dependent. They're not completely being coerced by the mo- the money men, people with more money than them, because that's how you make money is that you have to do things for people with more money than you and, and get paid. So the whole thing is uh, is very simplistic, but it's very coercive in itself. Because if you start out with with less, you start out a certain place, you're just born and you're poor, yeah, right. you're going to be uphill battle your whole struggle. And Absolutely. by the time, if, if you do become rich, you're going to be a, a fucking asshole a lot of well, times. This 24-year-old, he's a YouTuber from Arizona. His name is Sebastian Giorgio. He's if you're a guy in your 20s and you don't have a Lamborghini, you should actually sit down and have like a serious discussion with yourself as to why you don't have a Lambo. He said it's so incredibly easy as there's so much money out there and describe 200 grand as chump change. Huh. Um, so it, it, the tweet received over $9.2 million views and over 2,600 quote tweets and prompted a heated debates. Most Many viewers suggested his comments betrayed a level of privilege unattainable to most people, yeah. while others defended his comments saying the amount is relatively small compared to the USO total, total wealth. Uh, the clip appears to have been taken from a longer version he shared on his TikTok but, huh. you know, he's one of these young guys who wanted to make money, found a way to make it, and thinks everyone should be able to do what he did. So it, 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 it's, it's kind of bullshit, as you know, because it, if it was so easy for someone that age to make that kind of money, everyone that age would be making that kind of – we'd all be wealthy, right? So it's um, – it, and, and Daniel just wrote he's probably another SBF, and that's exactly who I thought of when I was watching this kid talk the other day, is that this is exactly what Sam – everyone said about Sam Bankman-Fried, right? He's young and he made all this money and look how smart he is. And he was talking mm-hmm. about, you know, how he was able to do this and it wasn't even that hard. And, and look at what and he's a total crook. Right. Yeah. Crook. You know, so. Uh, yes, a lot of people would, would assume a young person making so much money is probably doing is possibly doing something illegal to get it. And that's what SBF was doing. He was doing illegal stuff to become so wealthy. Of course, you can legitimately. I'm not saying this. Kid well, most be, most you know, of the immoral things are legal as far as business practices. You, we see it all the time with these legal scams and people getting screwed over left and right with insurance companies and and this and that. And it's and it's all through the books. It's all by the book legal business practices. Also, it might so, be a shock. It might be a shock to someone who's 24 and so wealthy. But some people, there are some people out there who actually want to do things that help humanity. Yeah, and, and for the environment, yeah. Yes, you're probably not going to become that wealthy if that's your only intention is to help humanity and not maybe become incredibly wealthy while you do it, which you know, but or be a charlatan. But if you really – there are some people out there, and they do exist, even in the cynical world, who want to do things to like make the world a better place when they leave. When they, yeah. when they leave this planet, they can say they, 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 they made the world a better place. People like that do exist, and they're unlikely to get wealthy. With that mindset. And then there are people who really are passionate about doing things they like doing, like making money, being a businessman, entrepreneur is not exciting to a lot of people. It was never exciting to me. That is not exciting to me. I don't want to sit down and do that. Um, You know, people maybe people want to be, um, 
you know, they want to be they wanted a job like in uh, in communications or they want a job in 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 broadcasting or they want a job in the arts. And most mm-hmm. people in the arts aren't making aren't aren't movie stars making twenty million dollars a project. So sometimes people just they're passionate about something, and whatever they're passionate about is not a big money making thing for most people. And yeah, that there's nothing wrong with that. And to say there's something wrong with that or, or something wrong with you because you're passionate about something that doesn't involve making a lot of money is kind of really twisted. You know, and, yeah. Well, like, um, yeah. I mean, if if a I guess, yeah, exactly. And if, if there's no standard for a person, like, you know, there are people arguing for the universal basic income. Um, you've, you've heard that sort of debate, like this idea of, of universal basic income. Have you heard that before? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So like the idea is to have that safety net, at least have your basics covered, your necessities. Um, because we, we all live and die. If the economy lives and dies by the dollar, if the dollar dies, like it has been, like the financial system's just fiat currency, just a debt-based machine where money isn't doesn't have an intrinsic value; it has a relative value according to the market. And we have this market falsely propped up through subsidies and through taxes and through all these manipulations. Then what we have is something that's just on borrowed time, and and it, it requires massive overhaul. In order for there to be any any sort of actual, like, uh, getting away from the corruption, because I don't know if if you notice, but I think I think things are just getting just getting worse everywhere all the time. I just feel like that it just seems like that there's no turnaround point. There's no if the military industrial complex is is continuing to grow. The wars are getting more profoundly, you know, profound and and uh, and and um. You know, there's a lot of shit we don't even see because they don't want us to see it. You know, the, the genocide, the, the genocidal uh, massacres in Yemen from the Saudis, from the, you know, the Wahhabi, um, you know, stuff that's constantly going on against the Palestinians. There's all these violence, violences going on everywhere. And we're mostly hidden from it, you know, like under a rock through this marketing and through politics and, and this and that. And, and all these things are weighing heavy on everybody. Because it's all effect all those all those all the ongoing atrocities, all the, the the mass exploitation of the forest, the rainforest, the mass exploitation of the oceans, dumping things and the toxic waste. It's all out of sight, out of mind, and now it's creeping up. And I think that um you know, and then now now you know, it's like more than ever people are just still they're like avoiding these subjects and talking more and more about politics and business and money, and it's like are you guys serious? Is this, is this really what you're going to center your whole everything around? You know? And then like, I don't, I don't get it. And then the same people are in a bubble and they're like, yeah, everything's just better than ever right now. Like humanity's doing great. Everything's great. And they're just, I don't know. They, they, they like, they like to sell comfort to people. I think like, that's what it is. Like, I think it's what it is. What's your name? I'm Jacob. Sorry. J- What's your name? Okay. Oh, Mike. Okay. Yeah, just just as I, I don't know what I stood for. Oh well, I Karoa, like I put I is my on the first name, and Karoa is the is the last name. It's just my my name, my last name, and uh, Karoa is my last my last name in Galician, like what my last name means in the Galician Celtic language. So there's a yeah. there, it's not it's not like a it's not like a completely uh, arbitrary thing. It's like I'm I'm I Karoa. So you you really liked up there in Ireland, didn't you? 
Um, yeah, I love Donegal. I, I was I was in love with the place. I wish I could have stayed longer. It's where my um my my favorite person ever is from. Um, Inya, the musician. Mm. Yes, I, she's great. She's. Yeah. I actually got to visit her father, her late father. Rest in peace. Uh, uh, rest in power, uh, Leo. I got to go to his um, the Leo's Tavern, and um, yeah, it was amazing. I, I I think the the whole trip, even though it was, it sucked for many reasons. I told myself if I if I can make it back to the United States, I won't regret it just for this because I got to experience Donegal. Yeah. And so, yeah. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I'll, no, I'll quit Jake, talking. No, Jacob. <laughs> I'm going to wrap. Uh, thanks. I, I, I'm going to wrap the show up. But it was really good talking to you. Call back again. Yeah, I was, I was. I'm so glad I, I saw your channel on here. I'm so glad. I'll talk. To, um, just have a good night. I guess this is this is it. I'll talk to you later. Okay, Jacob. Have a good one. Yeah, you thanks, too. Thanks, thanks for the call. Thank you. Um, tomorrow, I do want to talk. I've been remiss these last couple of days. Tomorrow night, I want to talk more about the Ohio explosion, um, the derailments, the Amtrak, and the pollution, uh, and the way that people are being poisoned by the air and our, our great uh, transportation secretary, Jeff Buttigieg, um, is absolutely AWOL. And this is one of the top prospects for the Democratic Party. It's really, it's really a shame. But tomorrow we'll talk more about the, uh, about the Ohio derailment and, uh, and other stuff. I want to remind everyone that this show airs, it's called and Let's Be Heard, and it airs Monday night through Friday night. So five nights a week, Weeknights, I guess I can just make it simpler, right? I'm always so complicated with this. Weeknights, this show airs weeknights at 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern. 11 p.m. Pacific, Eastern Time. And once again, this is Mike Kachopley reminding you that your influence counts. Use it. <laughs>